0: Every once in a while, I'm writing a sermon and it feels like it's hard to prepare. And this one in particular was like what I would call building a chicken coop in a tornado. You kind of just grab anything you can get at and nail it down. And John 3, really all of John, is really a depthy book. Um, every time I go to these texts, I wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with what Jesus has for us. But tonight, I want us to do two things. I hope that we get a deeper glimpse... I hope that we get a deeper glimpse of who Jesus is for us, what work he wants to do in our lives, and how we can join him in that work. Because I want you to imagine with me that tomorrow you get a text. You get a text from a friend. Uh, Maybe it's somebody that you know really well, maybe not so well, somebody that maybe you went to high school with or worked with at another job at one point. And and they send you a text and they say, hey, I want to know if we can get together and talk because I've been thinking about this Jesus thing, and I want you to tell me what it means to be a Christian. If you are a normal human, your first response is not excitement. Your first response is terror. Your first response is, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to say. And even if I sit down and say something to them, how do I know that it's right? And what if I do sit down and talk to them? How do I know that it will work? The, the first response we have, a lot of us, I have, when somebody says, hey, tell me about Jesus, I'm a little like, um, I, you know, uh, you want to wanna think, you know, uh, it's hard and so as we get into John three, we're going to see the first of a series of conversations that Jesus is going to have with real people. In John three, four, five and six, Jesus has a conversation. He has a conversation with the average person. Tonight, John 3, it's a spiritual and ethnic insider, a Jew, a Jewish leader. But next week, John 4, the woman at the well, Jesus is going to speak to a theological, a spiritual, an ethnic outsider. And he's going to handle each of these conversations differently. In John 5, Jesus is going to talk to a Roman centurion, a government official, someone who has oppressed the Jewish people. He's going to have that conversation differently than he did in 3 and 4. And in John 6, Jesus is going to have a conversation with 15,000 of his closest friends. He's going to feed 5,000 people, which is really more like 15 or 20. He's going to have a conversation with them about the nature of the gospel. He handles this conversation differently every time. And, this, and, and what I'm hoping we can do tonight is do two things. I'm hoping that we can not only look at what Jesus says and maybe even why he addresses that specific idea to that person. Not only what Jesus says, but how does Jesus say it? How many of you remember I had those Disney sing-along videos when I was growing up? And what did they tell you to do? They said, follow the bouncing ball, right? I want us to follow the bouncing ball of the conversation that Jesus has with this guy named Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus in John chapter three comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. In John chapter three, it says this, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Now, why he came to speak to to Jesus in the dark, we'll never know. Maybe it was because he wanted to hide this conversation from his colleagues in Jewish religious leadership in Jerusalem. Maybe it was because he just didn't want the public to know that he went anywhere near this Jesus. Or maybe, just maybe, it's because the darkness of that evening somehow was similar to the darkness of his own soul. All we know is that Nicodemus not only an insider, but an insider of insiders, comes to Jesus and he comes with a question, which is in verse two. It says, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now that's a question that didn't have a question mark, right? Nicodemus is good at what a lot of us are good at, it's saying one thing and meaning another. You see, this happens all the time in my house. I will get dressed for the day, I will go downstairs, and, and Steph will say to me, is that what you're wearing? Okay, no, that was just my practice outfit, you know? Uh, you go back up, you put something else on, because it's, where it's possible to say one thing while meaning another. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is an elite in Jewish religious leadership. He is a politician by nature. He is not just okay at, he's not just gifted in, he is practiced. He is an expert in saying one thing and meeting the other. And what he is doing here, though flattering of Jesus, he is tacitly, which means implicitly, which I'm not good at implied. If you ever want me to know something, don't imply it, just tell me. I communicate for a living, but not like that. Uh, okay, he's tacitly, he's by implication trying to figure out what's up with this Jesus. What is he really about? Jesus has just done the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine. He's just cleared the temple, the outer court of the Gentiles in John chapter 2 and now this Nicodemus who watched all this happen, he's trying to figure out what this Jesus is about and so he says, we know that God is with you and there's evidence in your signs and Jesus looks at him and his response is simply this. He says in John Chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, those of us who grew up in church. Truly, truly, I say unto thee, truly, truly, I tell unto unto you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verses 2 and 3 don't seem to have a lot of logical flow, right? I see that you are a man of God, and Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Two things that Jesus is doing here. First, notice what Jesus is going to teach Nicodemus, this spiritual religious insider. He's going to say, you want to know what I'm about? Let me tell you, I'm, t- I'm about a transformation so radical and so pervasive, a life change that is so completely wholesale that the best way for me to wrap language around it, Nicodemus, is to describe it as being reborn. It's as if you're pressing redo on your entire life. He says, there is a transformation that I have come to point to and offer and bring about in people's lives that is so massive in its implications for daily living that the best way to get at it is to say it means that you must be born again. But look at what Jesus does there. Jesus doesn't answer the question that Nicodemus asks. He answers the thoughts behind the question. Listen, when that friend calls you and says, hey, I want to talk about Jesus, when you're at, in the break room at work or you're texting with a friend or a family member and you're trying to share with them about Jesus, you can't just listen to the question they're asking. You have to listen to the thought behind the question. Here's a really good example of that. A lot of people that are skeptical about the faith will say, How can a loving and all-powerful God let bad things happen to good people? That's what they ask. It's a fair question. How can a loving and all-powerful God let bad things happen to good people? But that's not the question they're asking. The question they're asking, the thought behind the question is this. Is God trustworthy? Is God someone I can trust He says, he's all powerful and all loving, but I see these bad things happening and maybe he does them or maybe he doesn't. But what I need to know is, can I trust him? You've got to listen for the question behind the question. That's what Jesus does. And so he says, truly I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see, he cannot participate in the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus hears this And he asks what I would describe as an entirely fair question. He wants to know, well, what the heck does it mean for a man to be born again? And so Nicodemus says in verse four, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? In this very moment, Nicodemus and Jesus, you find out, are on two different, they're not even talking about the same thing. We're not even in the same, we're not on the same page. We're not even in the same chapter. We're not even in the same book. We're not even in the same library. He says, how can I get back in my mother's womb when I'm an old man? Which I'm kind of like, you gross, number one. <laughs> but look at what Jesus described. Jesus later will say to Nicodemus in the same conversation in verse 12. He says, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, meaning simple things, if you don't believe me about earthly things, how could you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? They're, like on, so they're in different realms, different time zones. And when I was growing up, this is why this is important. When I was growing up, people in my family used to say, wouldn't it be great if Oprah became a Christian? Because then, I know, and then some people that know my family are like, what now? Okay. And and I'm just telling you. And they would say, wouldn't it be great if Oprah became a Christian? Because then everybody would become a Christian. Let me tell you what, we've got plenty of celebrities who are Christians, like Steph Curry. And Steph Curry, aside from being a sucky basketball player, is, is, and he, is not making people run to Jesus with his mouthpiece dangling out of his mouth. The gospel does not suddenly make sense when somebody smarter than you or more famous than you or more interesting than you adheres to it. Because the gospel is not something that we just think about The gospel is not something that we just think about and then go, oh yeah, the gospel is totally and utterly foreign. I've got people in my life recommending junk to me all the time, like kale, you know what I'm saying? Famous people eating kale is not making me eat kale any faster. The gospel is so, so foreign. Nicodemus doesn't even get what Jesus is talking about because it's just that foreign. Even though Nicodemus is a qualified and respected Jewish teacher, Jesus calls him that in verse 10, the gospel is so different. It's such a radical transformation. It is, it is a foreign invasion. It is a sabotage. It is, here's the word, an interruption of the highest order that Nicodemus can't even see it coming. Instead, this transformation is so profound this transformation is so profound. Jesus has to describe it as being born again. It has to be something that happens outside of you and then works from the inside out. Now, here's why this is different. We are just as religious people as Nicodemus ever was. Our religion in America is just this. It's, it's you are beautiful. You were born beautiful. And if you think happy and positive thoughts, good things will come to you. The universe is on your side. And in fact, the universe is inside of you and it is your greatest ally. And if you work hard enough and dream hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want. I don't know what the heck that means, but it's what people believe. They believe in this somehow inner goodness that we tap into if we just like work hard enough and sing Disney songs loud enough that makes anything possible. And yet what Jesus says is so foreign to us because it's not look inside of you to all of your innate goodness. Tap into that power, tap into that potential and you can do anything. No, 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 no. Jesus says we need invaded. Jesus says we need sabotaged, we need hijacked, we need interrupted. And so Jesus says, here's what it means to be a Christian. He says, it is a work of the Holy Spirit who from out who is himself God, who will come and by work of grace give birth to spiritual life inside of you. We are born of water and the spirit, verse 5. And this Jesus says is a great great mystery. He says, look at what he says in, in verse 8. Start in verse 7. Jesus says, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again, because the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it is coming from or where it's going. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. See, what happens in our spiritual lives is just as real as the sound of that wind hitting our building tonight, just as real as the wind that blows across your face, and yet it is just as mysterious and just as intangible. You can't reach out and grab the wind, Pocahontas. It's just right there in my mind. (laughs) No, it's something that happens from outside of us. Jesus says we must be reborn, that through a work of grace, the Holy Spirit himself will come and cause us to be reborn by water and the Spirit. Now there's a verse that we stayed up till two in the morning in Bible college talking about. What does it mean to be born? Guys, Bible college, the nerdiest place you'll ever be. Two in the morning, guys. We did not drink in Bible college, we debated. You know what I mean? Uh, I recently went to do a wedding in Nashville and I was like in a club with a drink in my hand and I was like, this is the most like college-like thing I have ever done in my life, and I'm 28 years old. And, and so we, stayed at, we would stay up, what does it mean to be born of the water and the spirit? Does it mean physical birth of water because water and other things come out? And then, and then is it spiritual birth? Is it baptism? Listen, when in doubt, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. When in doubt, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. Listen to Isaiah chapter 44, verse three. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Even better, Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Here's what the gospel is. It's not that we can tap into our hidden inner happy potential. There is something broken and even, dare we say, unclean about us. We need a bath. We need washed down, but we're like a car. You can run it through the washing thing, but guess what? The engine itself is broken. And so we need a new nature given to us by the spirit. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. You will be given a new nature, which means you are what's, this is what the weird thing is going to happen. You're going to want things that you didn't want. You're going to like things you didn't like. You're going to spend money in ways that you didn't spend your money. You're going to spend your time in ways that other people don't spend their time. You are going to want to let go of bitterness and unforgiveness. And though you may not like a person differently than you did, you may want to like them more than you used to Might want to like them. Do you know what I'm saying? Something changes when the Holy Spirit gets involved, this salvation, this thing that Jesus wants to bring about in us, this, what theologians call, regeneration. This regeneration, thank you. Yes, everybody's like, well, where did that 18-syllable world come from? This regeneration is a, is a washing of our uncleannesses, of our idols. Some of us put too much stuff. I was with a guy this week and he said, I put so-and-so on a pedestal. That's an idol. We need washed of that. We need wash of these other things that we worship. And then a little bath isn't going to do it. We need heart surgery done. Something needs yanked out and put back in. It is an invasion of the highest order. It is a sabotage. It is a profound profound transformation. Jesus wants you to explain something is different about me in that text message, in that coffee conversation over that meal. I didn't really like this before, but now I seem to. I didn't want to spend my time this way, but now I seem to want that. I give my money to a church now and and don't spend it all on me. I. My relationships function differently. I've been learning how to forgive. That's the what, that something has happened to me. Have, something has changed about me, not of my own goodwill, but because God has done something from the outside in and then from the inside out. But look at how Jesus says what he says. Follow the bouncing ball. He, he uses what Nicodemus knows, which in this case, by the way, is also scripture he uses what Nicodemus knows. He uses scripture. Isaiah says that God's word always accomplishes its purpose. It never returns to him void. When God sends out his word to accomplish his purpose, the word doesn't come back like, well, I tried. No, no, no. It comes back having accomplished its purpose. If you are different, if you are different because you've been coming to regen, it is not because I'm a good preacher. It is not because of Julia is a great worship leader. It is not because our mugs are awesome. It is because God's word is changing you. The, 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 the tool that God uses to change us, to help us put on Christ, is scripture. This, is, this book is all we have. This is it. So he uses what Nicodemus knows. He uses scripture. This idea of using what somebody knows. If your friend knows quilting, use quilting. If your friend knows football, use football. Why do you think I have the ESPN app on my phone? I don't care. But if knowing who beat who gives me an inch into somebody's life to talk to them about Jesus, you better bet I'm gonna take it. Use scripture. Don't ram it down their throats. And finally, this is the most important thing, you've gotta listen for the sound of the wind of the Spirit blowing in that person's life, Jesus says, he says something profound. He says the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I'm having uh, one of the best things I do in my life is 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 a lot of one-on-one relational stuff. And sometimes I'm in conversation. I was in one this week and the wind was blowing in the background of this person's life. I'm not talking like a little summer daytime breeze. I am talking full force gale winds. And I knew that because this person was responding to things. I was so surprised they were responding to. And I was saying things that I couldn't believe I was saying. But I would only say them because I could hear the wind. You've got to learn to listen for the wind. And a lot of us have parents that maybe we walked away from church, and the way that they respond to that is like every Christmas, we get a little Christian book. And every Chris, and every time a, like a really subpar Christian movie comes out, they're like, why don't we go to this together, right? And you are so turned off by that. Why? Because the wind wasn't blowing in their life. When you have a friend and the wind's not blowing in their life, don't try to finagle every conversation into a conversation about Jesus. What's the bad example of this? You're at the restaurant, and they say, do you need more water? And you look at your friend, and you say, did you know that Jesus is the living water? And if you drink of him, you'll never be thirsty again. Don't do that. Wait and listen for the sound of the wind blowing through their life, and until you hear it, beg God to work. Beg God to work. use what they know and use scripture so jesus explains this transformation this new birth of water and the spirit this washing and this new new nature and nicodemus asked one final question in verse 9 he says how are these things possible good question these are all good questions nicodemus is asking he says how are these things possible the transformation, the invasion, the sabotage, the interruption, how does it work? Jesus says, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. He says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen, but you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how could you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? He says, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. Take that verse and do whatever you want with like the the kid goes to heaven movie, I don't know. It says, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the son of man has come down from heaven. We've not sent anybody up there to peek their head up there and come back and let us know, can you give us a lay of the land? No, no, no. We have been sent an emissary who has come to reveal to us the whole thing. (laughs) Jen's, Jen's into this. And as and he says, the son of man came down from heaven and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus runs to the gospel. Jesus says, all of this is possible. This new birth, this transformation of nature is only possible by the very fact of my sinless and perfect life and my innocent and slaughtery death. And in this glorious resurrection in which I am raised up, it is this that makes it possible. You and I live and move and have our being because Jesus was lifted up and he's doing a play on words. He means not only will I be lifted up on a cross to my death, I will be lifted up and exalted in the praises of my people forever. He is forever lifted up first to death and then to life forever where we join with him. Jesus runs to the gospel and you need to follow his example. Do not have a conversation without somehow integrating this life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because Paul says in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. You keep having these conversations with your friends, and they keep falling flat because you're not plugged in. You've got to plug in. Don't be yelling at your iPhone because it won't turn on when you haven't charged it in three weeks. You've got to plug in. You've got to run to the gospel. You've got to run to the story of this Jesus who lives this life and dies this death, I'm talking to this person this week, and they're talking about their insecurity, and they're talking about how they need other people to speak into them in order for them to feel some sense of security, and it wasn't long before I said, you are trying to get something out of a human that you can only get something out of the gospel, because the gospel alone promises us that Jesus has the final word on, on our insecurities and our securities and that Jesus died for that. Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to feel this way and now presents himself to us as a well that doesn't run dry so that we don't feel this way. You've got to run to the gospel in that conversation. You've got to sprint towards it. But, but, but this interesting thing happens at the end of this text. Jesus says, all of this only works in this, that everyone who believes would have eternal life. And it's what happens in, in three fifteen or 314, Nicodemus disappears. We won't see him again until chapter 19. He just falls off and it's as if Jesus is having this conversation with him and then turns to us, turns to you out of the pages of the book. And then he goes on and he says these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. In John 3, 16, you've memorized that verse, I have, even if you've never been in church, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What is the most important word? I preached a whole sermon on this one verse at the Grace Campus last weekend, but what is the most important word? It is not love. It is not gave. It is believe. See, in our minds, that verse is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone might not perish but have eternal life, but that's not what it says. It says that everyone who believes might not perish, but have eternal life. Well, how is it fair that eternal perishment is in front of those people that are texting us about Jesus? Jesus goes on and says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And here's the judgment. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. This is why we needed washed, because the light came and we looked, and we weren't even—it's not that we were just interested and then walked walked away. We we hated the light and loved the darkness more. This is why a transformation was needed. Something about our loves needed reformed. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for their sins will be exposed. I'll tell you what—you get around Jesus for about five seconds, and you're going to find out very quickly, very lovingly, but very quickly, the ways that we're living outside the bounds. And if Jesus has never challenged you on that, you aren't worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping yourself. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says that everyone who believe will have eternal life, but everyone who doesn't, there's a different story. If we believe that, we have got to leap over the hurdle of terror a little faster when a person in our life says, I need you to tell me about Jesus. I'm not saying get rid of the terror and grab yourself by your big girl pants and pull yourself up. No, I'm saying this. I'm saying you've got to leap over the terror. You've got to feel the terror. You've got to look it in the face and say, this person is eternally more important than the five minutes I'm going to spend uncomfortable on this text message. Because it doesn't say that everyone might not perish but have eternal life. It says that everyone who believes might not perish but have eternal life. But let me tell you something, sometimes you have these conversations and they really stick. John 4, the woman at the well, runs into her village and she says, come and let me tell you about a man who told me everything I ever did. But Nicodemus just wanders off silently. And sometimes you have these conversations, even when the wind of the Spirit's blowing in a person's life, where they kind of, "Uh uh-huh, 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 and they leave. Because it's just not their moment. And so we pray and we seek You listen for that and when conversations come up you, you use what they know and you use scripture and you listen for the question behind the question and you run to the gospel if regeneration is going to live into the vision that God has for it, it it's going to be this we're not going to build anything We're not going to preach on streets. We're not going to hold big tent revivals. But we're going to get coffee, and we're going to buy people dinner, and we are going to try in every way that we can to edge our way into people's lives just to create enough trust just for one moment in which we might just say something about Jesus to them. That's what we're doing. And if that's the case, here are the two questions that I want to leave you with. First, who are your top three? Who are the top three people that don't know Jesus in your life that you are praying for, that you are trying to gain that inch into the door so that you can talk to them about Jesus? Now, some people, they're like, I got 77, bro. Awesome, but who are your top three? Who are the top three people that you're praying Break my heart for what breaks your heart. Help me see people the way you see people. Help me to point blank to Jesus today. Who are your top three? And and the second question I have for you is this. Who are you part of directly and personally transforming and mobilizing for Jesus? I'm not talking. I give so that we can get people in the room and then Kyle can tell about it. I'm saying, no, no, no. Who do you, and I don't know if this is the most appropriate phrase, who do you have your hands on? that you are directly and personally a part of mobilizing and transforming for Jesus. Odds are there gonna be some overlap in those top three because this is it, this is the work. We can't professionalize it out, mostly because the days are numbered. I may be the last full-time pastor in America. These days are coming to an end. We can't just professionalize it out Either we all own the mission or we don't. And I know it's hard and uncomfortable, and it's my job to preach sermons that equip you to have these conversations, to be listening for the voice of the Spirit in their life. But hear me on this. This is the last thing I want to tell you. There is a Nicodemus in this room. There's somebody who is hearing these things and wants to walk away back into the darkness unchanged. Don't do that. Don't be Nicodemus. Don't just wander away. It's 50-50 in the commentaries. Is Nicodemus on the boat or is he not? Because in John 19, it seems like he helps bury Jesus. On the other hand, he doesn't ever say, yeah, I'm in. Don't, Don't do that. Don't wait till later and don't leave us guessing. Don't let the story of your life make us think, oh, I don't know. I mean, he was there for that one thing toward the end. No, 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 no. Don't be Nicodemus. Don't just hear this and walk away. Don't just leave unchanged. Don't just let this kind of flow over you because I've done the church thing before and Kyle's voice is there. Don't, Don't do that. Don't. Look on this Jesus raised up for us and believe in him. Lean into it that you would be radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we... we confess that we need a new nature. We confess that even this week we have disproven our washedness. Jesus, what we need is you. And I pray for the person in the sound of my voice that is just wanting to brush this off don't let them don't let them sleep tonight give them weird stress dreams when they do hound them down until all of a sudden they can't look over but look over their shoulder and see you there calling to them jesus I pray for not just these ones, but their top three or their top 77. I pray that those people would not be able to sleep until they send the text that says, I want to know about Jesus. And I pray for these ones that they would hear the wind of your spirit blowing in that person's life, and they would catch it in their sails, and they would have the conversation that, Father, they would be surprised by the love they speak, by the truth they speak, by by the competence with which they speak it. I pray that they would be stunned. And I pray that that person that they're speaking to would be convicted. Father, help us, even in this meal, we pray in Christ's name.